Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Ethics and Caribbean Philosophy Series at the University of Toronto Center for Ethics. This is our second year having an event on this holiday, and we want to wish you a happy Martin Luther King Day and thank you for celebrating with us. I'm Ben Davis, postdoctoral fellow here at the Center, and this evening it's my honor to introduce Tavia Nyong'o. Chair and Professor of Theater and Performance Studies, Professor of American Studies, and Professor of African American Studies at Yale University. His current research and teaching interests span Black queer cultural and performance studies, contemporary art and aesthetic theory, speculative genres, Afrofuturism, and Black sound studies. Welcome, Tavia. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me, especially considering I'm neither a Caribbeanist nor a philosopher. So I feel especially, <laughs> especially uh, privileged to be in, in this company. Well, we have a, a interdisciplinary broad sense of these things at the center. Um, uh, we, got in <laughs> we got in touch uh, about your book chapter, Black Humanitarianism in the edited volume entitled uh, Retrieving the Human which is in dialogue with Paul Giroy's work. And to give the audience some background, we, when we were corresponding before tonight, we realized we wanted to talk about some of Gilroy's influences before talking about your chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, and Gilroy situates himself in advancing a planetary humanism in Against Race, for instance, as following Franz Fanon's call for a new humanism. So let's start there. How do you think about Fanon and his importance to Gilroy? Um, yeah, that's a great question, and um, it um, there are a number of ways of answering it. I think that Fanon has been important to pretty much everyone in Black studies, it's probably safe to say, and so to some extent, or to that extent, everyone has I don't want to say everyone has their own Fanon, but there are, there are varieties of uh, critical Fanonism out there. And um, the turn in Gilroy's work that I was interested in when I wrote uh, that essay that was in a collected volume uh, of, 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 um, of essays looking at Gilroy's work was um, kind of picking up on a moment in or a series of interventions starting with um, Against Race, which was published also as between camps uh, around the turn of the millennium and uh, subsequent books uh, of Gilroy's uh, Postcolonial Melancholia and uh, uh, Darker Than Blue. And I guess you could say that the always present uh, influence of Fanon in, um, in Gilroy's work and more broadly in Black British cultural studies takes on a particular um, shape in, um, in those, uh, you know, in, in the work of the last 20 years. And you might even say it's a renewal of um, Fanon and of Fanon's approach to what you know we now would call a new humanism and what does this new humanism consist of 
if not a um, revolutionary vision that um, that uh, in which Fanon imagines, in which which Fanon calls for an intern, you know, for for an engagement with the um, um, uh, with 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 a revolutionary praxis, but also with a transformation and subjectivity and consciousness mm -hmm. that is guided neither by the humanism of the um, of, of the West, the dominant West, or the um, the framework of of of, of the Soviet um, Soviet bloc of that era, right? So a um, you know, a third world internationalism in many respects is what I see as the call for a new humanism. And um, in that, there is, um, here I'm probably speculating or bridging from Gilroy's interest to, you know, to my own and, and to those of others, because I did say that everyone has has their own phenomenon, but I've always been very interested in, in, um, in Fanon's relationship to um, to to psychiatry, mm. and um, as as a as an un maybe as a somewhat unlikely uh, uh, place because uh, to to be drawn to right because we think of a psychiatric power as um, as a component of biopower and as part of the repressive apparatus of mm -hmm. of, of of this of the state if we. You know, read our Foucault, right? Um, certainly distrusting, distrusting psychiatric power, and and Fanon certainly distrusts the, the psychiatric power that shapes, you know, the colonized consciousness. And um, but at the same time, he's he's determined to um, to employ it and and even to kind of innovate what then becomes a kind of a sociotherapy, right? Um, which I now think we can. Um, place alongside the work of radical um, radical therapists like uh, Guattari, for instance. Um, and um, so the so the new humanism there is a um, you know a determination to kind of work with the elements of um, of of whatever tools are at hand, including the tools of of uh, psychiatry and medicine, but also um, uh, psychoanalysis, uh, phenomenology, mm -hmm. drama, right? I mean, there's a really mm -hmm. broad corpus um, in, in, in Fanon. I know it's, it's, it's much more than that one essay, uh, that, that one chapter in Black Skin, White Masks that everyone, you know, tends to focus on and um, a part I, I partly I, I, I see is the intervention of, of those works in the early uh, 20th century, uh, 21st century was, was um, th those were, uh, you know, part of Gilroy's ambition was to kind of bring that phenomenon into, you know, back into, uh, back into view at a moment, and this is the last thing I'll say is in which, you know, an, another, another Fanon who is more, um, other uses of Fanon that are more fatalist and mm -hmm. see him as the kind of uh, prophet of uh, ontological 
uh, negation, you know, right. and 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 nothingness on the part of the um, the black subject um, has, you know, that phenomenon has gained a lot of, you know, prestige in all kinds of circles, and 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 that's 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 a that's a reading of phenomenon against which I think um, Gilroy is, is positioning, you know, his phenomenon. Okay. Yes, we'll uh, loop back to some of this. Um, I also wanted to ask about your chapter. You, One of the most compelling claims to me that you made was that Gilroy moves beyond traditional approaches to human rights through the U.S. and French revolutions in order to start a kind of human rights archive from Frederick Douglass and abolitionism as a human rights campaign. And so you elaborate on this uh, right to be human that you are talking about there and some of the continuities perhaps between abolition then as a human rights movement and abolition as we hear the term now with respect to uh, prison abolition movements, social movements, these kind of ethical political questions of our time. Yeah, no, this is, I think, a pretty consistent um, uh feature of Gilroy's work. It's certainly an evidence in the Black Atlantic and mm -hmm. many things have changed and evolved about his thought over, you know, the, the decades, but, but to kind of consistently combine a critique, even a, um, you know, exoriation <laughs> of sort of like universalist categories mm -hmm. or excluding or failing to account for like the sordid histories of slavery and colonialism you know, coupled with the determination to sort of refashion those categories rather than simply to abandon them mm -hmm. is where, you know, the, the, the approach to human rights discourse, um, it, 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 you know, is where, you know, he um, often lands, I don't say always, but he often. Um, and I have to also clarify that this essay was written, I'm not exactly sure, but I think probably maybe as long as 10 years ago and like so much has happened. And the reason that's relevant is because it's not a timeless question of human rights really, but really a conjunctural analysis, right? Mm -hmm. So um, just before I get into answering your question fully, I just want to note uh, a recent book from 2021 by my Yale colleague, Samuel Moyne called Humane who uh, does a really wonderful expert job of looking at 21st century humanitarian interventions um, through the lens of this like, kind of longer history of evoking human rights, um, but also the humanitarian, right? Um, you know, starting with the Red Cross in the 19th century as ways of, you know, he puts it, um, you know, rather than, you know, allowing reformers to shift attention from posing the crime of war to opposing war crimes, right? And that paradoxically, this effort to make, uh, to make war more humane in the 21st century through this, you know, the suppression, not in fact the abolition, but the suppression of torture, et cetera, has made war more endless in our time, right? And uh, made the U.S. war machine more perpetual. So I just want to kind of call out the importance of this sort of ongoing conjunctural analysis of what um, mm -hmm. what what human rights discourse means at any given moment in time, right? Um, and in in some respects, I think Moyne's more analysis corresponds to some of the work, critical work from sort of Marxists and decolonial critics that I was citing in my essay, um, who were similarly suspicious of of, of the you know 
of the discourse of human rights. But I was in some ways taking that as red, right? <laughs> okay, so human rights, this is a problem, right? You know, so what is this right to be human? Why would you even identify a tradition that would be uh, worth uh, upholding at all, right? Um, on and you know the right to be human is actually a quotation from Malcolm X, um, and towards the end of his life, where he is resituating, you know, coming out of the Nation of Islam and resituating the Black freedom struggle in the context of internationalism and thinking about human rights uh, and the United Nations and International Declaration. But all of these are these are rhetorical moves that Malcolm X is making in order to intensify and. Uh, de-provincialized to some, some degree, right? Um, what's happening in the politics of his moment. And so what, you know, by turning to the um, human rights rhetoric of the um, of, of Black abolitionism, Gilroy is doing two things. One, I mean, at one point level, just sort of identifying this like deeper history of abolitionism, which has again, come, you know, in a really astonishingly powerful way in our present moment, back to the foreground of our social movements mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, when I was studying abolitionism in uh, 19th century abolitionism in the, in the, in the 1990s, I, I had no idea. <laughs> it was like, a, you know, uh, that this would be the future as well as the past, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that also... Um, you know, more uh, more than just the kind of return of a kind of a rhetoric of um, radicalism is the um, is the sort of the um, you know what Gilroy ends up calling the moral economy, right? Of, of of black abolitionism and the right to be human, and a, a somewhat surprising defense of um, even you know, intellectual traditions like Harriet Beecher Stowe and the sort of sentimental strand of um, 19th century um, abolitionist feminism, which has gotten, at least in my field, American studies, I think there were, um, you know, at least, at least it's an entire generation, if not two generations of scholarship devoted just entirely to trashing this, this, you know, <laughs> this, this, this legacy as, as, um, uh, uh, as as really kind of complicit with the reproduction of racism, right? And it, it's gotten to the point where, um, you know, almost like the pendulum had to swing a little bit to the other end and ask, well, so what was it about abolitionism that was compelling in the first place? Like, why were people uh, motivated to really um, be the original, you know, let's burn it all down, right? I mean, in you know, there was in, I'm going to forget the decade, but um, in the 1830s, I want to say, uh, I'm not as good at 19th century scholars as I used to be. Um, there was actually a burnt over district in upstate New York where like so many different waves of religious enthusiasm and reformism that were really down to the body, down to the cellular level, right? It's not just uprooting racism and slavery, and uh, inequality between the sexes, but also free love, also vegetarianism, also like new forms of Christianity or post-Christianity. Really, um, you know, this is not, our moment is not the first to discover, you know, polyamory and veganism <laughs> and radically alternative and anarchist modes of life. Mm -hmm. um, 
And this is part of the deeper kind of history of um, abolitionism in which figures like Sojourner Truth come out of, right? Um, Frederick Douglass is up there in Rochester, you know, and, um, and then later in, 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 the, in the century, certainly, you know, many others as well. So the, um, the idea of the right to be human is um, really a right to be, um, uh, it's not just a right to be a man and a brother, right, in the way that, you know, the, um, the classical uh, and, and liberal, the classically liberal uh, conservative icon of, of British abolitionism, but a right to remake the human, a right to actually define what it means to be human. And, um, and this is something that, um, and to give an overly long answer to your question, I think remains important and worthy of, um, you know, worthy of um, ongoing contestation. My friend and colleague, Jay Garcia, who um, co-edited the volume and, um, uh, we actually co-taught uh, co a course on, on the Black Atlantic. He's sort of landed really on this idea of dynamic nominalism, which comes out of, I think, the work of Ian Hacking, but something that Gilroy has been interested in as well. And again, I'm not a philosopher. I'm not equipped to give a precise definition of it, but it's this idea that what we call ourselves, right, is both arbitrary, but also meaningful, right? It's both nominalist, but also it's dynamic because the names that we mm -hmm. give ourselves actually become the way we live our lives, the way other people understand our, uh, us, right? Um, mm -hmm. And to some degree, they're kind of transformative. I would tend to think of this through the lens of performativity and the performative mm -hmm. speech act, because that's, mm -hmm. that's my, own, my own background, perhaps mm -hmm. an analogy there. And so the last thing I'll say about that is that like the right to be human is an example of a kind of dynamic nominalism, right? Um, it's not accepting the human, it's a call not to accept the human on dominative, normative, white normative terms, mm -hmm. certainly not the terms of human rights discourse, which assume, this I think has been central to Gilroy's critique, right, that assumes, um, not just his critique, it goes all the way back to Du Bois when he's right. critiquing the Universal Declaration, right? right, that assume that we kind of have already created a humanity, right, or that we've already, we are, we already we've already achieved humanity and have to, you know, uh, defend it. It's the same critique um, made of the cate categories like the Anthropocene, right? You know that there's there's a, that who is this Anthropos right? <laughs> who is supposedly coming on the scene, right? Who has sort of created this sort of world historic planetary shift in the ecology, right? It's not every homo sapien on this planet, right? There's an overrepresentation there to use Sylvia Winter's term, right? Yes. There's, there's, an, there's, a, there's a radical and structural and historical inequality that if we don't think about in terms of racism and racialization, we will, we will not actually get closer to the right to be human, but we'll get further away. Yes, let's stay on, you mentioned performativity, performance, this question of uh, uh, being human as praxis in winter's term. That mm -hmm. was something else uh, we talked about in correspondence. And, uh, and one of the ways we were thinking of getting at it that uh, I think would be, interest, uh, would be interesting to me and to our audience is this distinction in Gilroy between planetary humanism and, and what winter calls re-enchanting the human. Uh, how, how would you draw that out? 
I think there are contiguities, you know, and I think that one of the, um, you know, that really would be for, you know, either one of these eminences to say, right, but I see some, I see some contiguities and, you know, at least in one, one public lecture, you know, Gilroy has offered Winter as, 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 as someone, you know, the project of re-enchanting the human as, 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 as um as aligned or analogous in some ways with this this call for a planetary humanism mm -hmm. um in contrast to a sort of post-humanism which he's always been very 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 skeptical of which I, I imagine that we'll get to um you know for me there's also something that you know another another colleague um Lisa Lowe mentioned to me which really actually just I was like yeah that's completely fascinating and right that Sylvia Winter um use I think as of this conversation still with us, you know, and um, is, is almost an exact contemporary of Fanon. And so really when we talk about the, you know, Fanon's new humanism, we really should be speaking about Winter's mm. uh, re-enchantment of the humanism in the same breath because they're coming out of that same moment, right? And they're coming, they are Caribbean philosophers, even if I'm not, right? And that, um, you know, Fanon's life is, tragically abbreviated, but in, in winter goes on to develop this sort of massive corpus of, um, of, of research and writing that, you know, um, we're all frantically catching up with right now. And um, so I, I've kind of lost track of your question precisely, except to say that the, the, the idea of a, um, of the overrepresentation of um, man and um, in, in Winter's adoption and sort of transformation of sociogenesis, right, are crucial components to, um, uh, you know, to a very kind of complicated project that I think would take a whole other conversation, right, you know, to sort of break down the key elements of of, of winter's philosophy, but um, but it is by your own account a humanism, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a humanism that is a um, like a black humanism, right? And um, what makes it black is this determination not to read the human from the the standpoint of the metropole and. Um, and uh, European humanism, um, but from this profane, hybrid um, palimpsest of and perpetually contested terrain, right? I mean, the Caribbean mm -hmm. as a um, as the paradigmatic in some ways of what a re-enchantment of the human could be, right? Which is, uh, which is to say not that um, we all must become Caribbean, <laughs> although perhaps that would, you know, but that, in, that, that, we, that there, are, there are, you know, there are different sources for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, for, for future humanity. Um, and mm -hmm. um, maybe in particular, um, uh, different sources for thinking about the relationship of the human and um, her environment, um, and uh, then the um, 
than the narrative of conquest and domination and um, science thought of always as, you know, uh, control. There's always, I mean, I, again, I will I feel like I could go on a whole tangent of winter, but there's, you know, the, the idea of a planetary humanism is perhaps interesting to, to think about in our moment as we um, are plunged into the middle of a planetary um, uh, pandemic uh, and, 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 and call to think more, unless I'm banal at this point two years in, but like call to think about <laughs> what it means to be a, a species, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, you know, this is, you know, where unfortunately um, Agamben has gone, you know, entirely off the rails <laughs> and it's completely wrong, right? Because he's sort of identified the state of um, uh, exigency and the kind of need for kind of planetary level of sociogenesis in order to adapt and survive with uh, the state of exception declared by the sovereign. And, you know, so unfortunately, <laughs> Gavin's revealed his own political trajectory to be headed directly towards the most right-wing and reactionary pathway, um, very unfortunately, right? I think a, a kind of planetary humanism or humanism made to the measure of the world or however you want to call it, I think mm -hmm. in some ways we have to be dynamic nominalists here, right? You know, is mm -hmm. one that understands that um, uh, the, 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 the substrate of, of the human is not just simply uh, decided upon <laughs> by politics, but is actively grassroots contested and, and remade, right, um, from, from the bottom up. And that, um, and I think this is where um, not only Sylvia Winter, but um, the, um, I would also name Octavia Butler here um, as someone who, um, as a speculative fiction writer, mm -hmm. was in her time deeply, deeply interested in researching um, the relationship between um, climate change, xenophobia, racism, sexism, right? Um, and, and the natural sciences and always wanted her fictions to be as informed as possible by what she understood about the natural world, right? And mm -hmm. saw it as part and parcel with the kind of natural science, right? So, um, you know, I'm not conflating Winter <laughs> and Butler when I say that there's here are two projects that mm -hmm. are kind of a, um, and there are instances of, and examples of sociogenesis, right? And it's a very, very, the picture looks entirely different, I think, than, you know, um, than what, you know, our friend Agamben has to offer. Yeah. I don't know why I brought him up, forgot I ever said that, but. Yeah, well, it's been contested, and yes, uh, um, I do want to remind our audience to feel free to post questions at any time, and we'll get to them uh, pretty soon here. I have just a few more questions. One of them is a, if we could talk a little bit more on this humanist, post-humanist debate. Um, we had spoken about Zakia Iman Jackson's becoming human as a kind of recent um, 
touch point here. And uh, the con some concepts at play include Gilroy's, uh, what Gilroy uh, talks about in terms of infrahumanity and vis-a-vis uh, -vis what Jackson calls black plasticity. So you know, how do you think about this? Um, the post, however, uh, however we want to talk about it, the these moves from the planetary humanism to a post-humanism. Well, so yeah, what do I think? Right, you know, um, I um, am probably more comfortable with post-humanism than Gilroy is. Right, although he was, you know, my teacher. Um, and, you know, I often wonder why that is. Um, I um, partly um, am, you know, I'm not, I'm not nostalgic for the human. Um, and I also don't think that, um, I've also been incredibly, I'll put it in affirmative dates, I've always been incredibly interested in, um, in, in, in what can happen if we're, um, if we're not, you know, I mean, the idea of metamorphosis and transformation and um, even hybridity, right? Do these have to be like bounded by, by the by the human you know that said mm. um you know the um the critique of post-humanism has often and i think maybe persuasively been um that it's an attempt to get past a category that many people have not yet arrived at securely right mm. um, and um you know to which um, I think the only response is, is I often uh, joke with a dear friend, uh, Jana Brown, um, we tell each other, well, like, who wants to be <laughs> human anyways, right? Um, but, you know, I, I think that the, um, the, the, the idea of um, infrahumanity as Gilroy um, uh, explores it does have to do with um, an embracing, not simply, and he's critical, I mean, he's just observing this phenomenon, but it's sort mm -hmm. of like, I mean, his example, I believe, was like Snoop Dogg, right? You know, <laughs> like places in Black popular culture and hip hop um, in which the, um, in, 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 in which, um, all that follows from the statement, you know, I'm not a human being, right? You know, is actually a space of supposed, um, you know, uh, supposed liberation from the obligation of, um, or the burden of, 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 of human subjectivity, um, but also um, is always a kind of dance with the, um, a dance of the double, as it were, right? Um, specifically, this idea of, of, of dehumanization. Um, and, you know, the problem, which I think only, I mean, to my knowledge, you know, Zakia Jackson in 
has been the first to really kind of solve, <laughs> you know, is uh, or the most persuasive recent version of this is that, you know, um, yes, to dehumanization and the animalization of black um, being is is kind of at the core of, of scientific racism and, you know, the justifications of slavery. I mean, this is, you know, but that places you in a kind of double bind if you accept that, right? That therefore, um, you know, racism dehumanizes us. Therefore, we must, <laughs> you know, we must achieve, you know, we, we must kind of correct that and sort of be brought into the magic circle of the human, right? That is a double bind, right? And what the innovation of becoming human, uh, and one of the many innovations of that text is sort of argue through this idea of black plasticity is to sort of re-argue that. And I think it is sort of, it's not directly in dialogue with, with Gilroy's concept of infrahumanity, mm -hmm. but there's an, there's an illustrative, you know, resonance, I think there, there. and to say that like, what, what, the, what the figure of the black does ontologically for an anti-black world is not to be less than human, right? Subhuman, but, um, and I'm not gonna give the exact quote, both sub, supra, and uh, para, right? It's actually just the, the flexibility of blackness vis-a-vis -vis the human um, is a what keeps blackness sort of outside the charmed circle of the human while also um, continuously kind of th threatening the human with with something that it you know that um, uh, that it is not right. It's sort of like an uh, uh, creating a sense of vertigo, right, around uh, a vertiginous fear um, of um, again this sort of plasticity. So this is you know obviously in conversation with. Um, Catherine Malibu's, um, I think, very influential revival of the sort of Hegelian concept mm -hmm. of, of plasticity, but with a very particular critique of the way in which um, modern ontology comes to depend upon Blackness as a figure for, um, uh, for the plastic seen here, not simply as the subhuman, but as the sub-supra and um, uh, there's uh, even a, a, a kind of a quantum superposition <laughs> that, uh, that she makes that actually paradoxically then becomes a, a place of, I might call it possibility, right? Is that if you're kind of always super, uh, super in, in superposition in relation to um, the human, if, if, if your existence can never fully be kind of stably measured, right? You know, in that kind of, in terms of like quantum mechanics, right? Then there are these possibilities for kind of a black aesthetics or a black being that is radically um, opaque, you know, um, subversive, um, entangled, right? Um, these then become possibilities that are, I would say, maybe post-human possibilities, right? You know, um, or certainly, possibilities that are that are that are outside of the 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 classical conception of 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 human being and there's also i would just add there in addition a whole conversation that then opens out around ecology that mm. could be had right and 
Um, and this is also another place that I think Gilroy's work has gone in the past five, 10 years is to really center the ecological crisis as, um, uh, again, a, a question for planetary humanity to respond, but one that we cannot respond to without you know, fully understanding and grappling with the histories of colonialism and slavery and their enduring manifestations in the present that prevent us from actually, um, I'm saying things that everyone on this call knows, right? But then actually prevent us from actually grappling with all, taking all the steps that Greta Thunberg wants us to take, <laughs> you know? Yes. It's not obvious. You know, it's, 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 it's quite apparent that, that, that to actually take the measures that would be required would be, would entail a wholesale, you know, upheaval of the modern world order that is not in the interests of, you know, those who continue to, you know, uh, uh, to, to profit from it. Well, I'm glad you're saying it and with such clarity because you know, the the part of the point of the discussion and uh, having it on YouTube is to uh, have a conversation with larger audiences. So that's important. Uh, um, before this will be my last question, before we get to audience questions, uh, and again, I would encourage uh, those watching to post a question, feel free in the chat. Um, uh, but I wanted to add, yeah, I like to bring in a little bit of the voice of the person uh, uh, with whom I'm having the conversation. So I wanted to read a little bit of, uh, uh, on this post-humanism question from uh, your book, Afrofabulations, where you argue, quote, it is the very exception of blackness and queerness from the humanist standard that produces the possibility of imagining humanity otherwise. Um, and... So here we could go in a few different directions. Um, one of them is if you could talk a little bit more about some of your, um, the method that you're doing there, what you see as the implications of that kind of claim for continued scholarship or practice or however you think about those connections. Yeah, you know, I think that, well, thank you for reading that. That's, that was probably in the back of my mind when I was, you know, throwing a gambin under the bus earlier because <laughs> You know, and it's an ongoing process for me because I think reading that work was quite influential for me for many years. And, um, and so it's state of the exception. Yeah. Um, you know, anyways, I'm grappling, this may not be of interest to your audience, but like I've been grappling with sort of like what it has meant to sort of see him go so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually feel like it's not just some arbitrary, you know, idiosyncrasy, right? But something that actually is sort of deeply in the work there. So there's something about the state of exception and the formulation of exception you know, Alexander Wehalie and his habeas viscous, I think it's done a lot to kind of correct mm -hmm. Ben by way of this is like, you know, deeply, um, uh, this deep reading of black feminist theories of the human, um, particularly Sylvia Winter and, um, and, and Hortense Spillers. So there's that work out there on the table, right? You know, and in Alex's work is important, you know, certainly to me and, um, there's a whole chapter in the book that I am engaging with, with the, with, with the ideas of, um, of habeas viscous. What I'll say is what I was trying to get across, and I think it would be both for theory and for practice, mm -hmm. um, but maybe even more for practice, right? Is whereas um, it, it, I guess it was a, it's a version of, of, of what I was just saying um, earlier that, 
being excluded from the human um, is, um, you know, presents an opportunity to reimagine the human, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm fully in agreement with the Fanonian project of a new humanism or, um, you know, humanism made to the measure of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and, and, you know, but the terms are so loaded. So like one, this may be a little bit of a, hopefully not too long of a detour, but um, I've been rereading some, uh, uh, some of the reception of Foucault in the 70s. And in the 70s is actually, Gilroy touches on this briefly, but sort of for feminism and then also for gay liberation, the term human rights is important, right? Um, in a particular way, right? And, um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it, it, just, it, it has a particular meaning, right? Um, and, you know, one of those meanings is for the gay liberationists is the right to, you know, do what we want to do and still be considered human, <laughs> you know, not to be rounded up by the police, mm -hmm. right? Not to be, not to lose your job, you mm -hmm. know, not to uh, be, you know, assaulted or murdered, right? As is happening disproportionately to mm -hmm. trans men of color, um, you know, then and now. So, you know, the right to be human is not just simply a, a legalistic right <laughs> that can be defended in the court of law. In fact, mm. quite often when it comes to the courts, right, you know, or even like hate crimes legislation, it's very ex post facto. We don't even need to get into it, but it's often quite suspicious, right? Because it's part of the part of the it can become very quickly enlisted to the carceral state, right? This idea of like punishing people, right, um, is really not where most, you know, enlightened prison abolitionists we want to go in the first place right mm -hmm. um but rather you know a human rights which is really built around um as basic as it sounds the creation of safe spaces right you know and you know mm -hmm. safe spaces you know or or like viable modes of life you know um uh gilroy calls it convivial culture right mm -hmm. um and you know what is the capacity, you know, the capacity for different forms of life uh, to live alongside each other without, you know, killing each other, <laughs> you know, without recourse to violence, right? You know, this is like, a, a, it's both a project, but also it's a kind of capacity, you know, that um, is, is much closer to the surface than we sometimes think, you know, that, you know, I mean, I'm influenced actually by social theorists who say that, you know, actually organizing people to, you know, pick up weapons and kill each other is takes effort, right? That's not the default mode, right? You know, um, and mm -hmm. so that, you know, um, the, the idea of um, blackness and queerness as spaces where we can um, uh, find experiments with a you know, with different ways of being human. Um, and um, I don't want to get on my high horse, but maybe say less, less consumerist ones, maybe more internationalist ones, you know, like all the, the, these, there, there's, 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 there are a lot of things that we can, we can, we have the capacity to do even within, um, you know, even within states of um, injury, 
uh, within states of trauma. I think there's a lot of emphasis of, on, on those states at the moment, right? That there's, you know, so much um, uh, that we uh, are facing, right? <laughs> that we kind of lose sight of the uh, of the of the um, the capacities of what I in the essay called black radical becomings, and you know this idea that blackness is not a single uh, stable essence, but um, but a utopian striving, right? And that the utopian striving, which everyone likes to shout down, as as Munoz once said, right? Um, why is it easy to sh sh shout down utopia? It, it's easy because, um, you know, we can easily point to utopian plans that are, that seem kind of awful, right? <laughs> you know, or um, totalitarian even. But, um, you know, and I think Gilroy is utopian very much in this um, respect. Um, looking to, you know, philosophers like Bloch um, but also looking to the sort of like moral economy of black music. I think this is like the one place I differ with him is that I think he really identifies this in the past yeah. with certain kind of past moments of black music. And I still see it today. I still, okay. I still see this, this utopianism today. Um, and not just in music, but in other forms. Right. But it's, it's very, it's very, it's a simple, but crucial point to, understand that the utopianism that I'm interested in is not um, a full-blown uh, like ideology, you know, or system, mm -hmm. but a wish, a kind of omnipresent wish imminent within, you know, um, something as simple as a, uh, a lyric, you know, like a song like Jerusalem, which then goes global, right? And mm -hmm expresses in a way that is both kind of quintessentially South African and planetarily human, right? <laughs> a sort of response to the COVID-19 crisis, right? You know, to me when, um, you know, back in the Black Atlantic, when, you know, when Gilroy was talking about the, um, uh, the politics of transfiguration and uh, the uh, lower frequencies, right? Those are still there, right? And they're still here in electronic, hybridized, recombinant musics, songs like Jerusalemana, Jerusalem, sorry. Um, and you know, uh, you know that th that 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 aspiration for uh, something more or something other is, I think, really um, like remains crucial uh, to. Uh, to black, uh, black music and black culture. Well, before we get to our audience's questions, let me just thank you again. I learned a lot from this conversation and appreciate your uh, joining us here. Thank you. Okay. Um, could you talk more about the question of performance and uh, where you see sites of performance of a new humanism? You know, um, I think I was just talking about performance when I was talking about Jerusalem. Um, you know, uh, you know, music and um, 
and 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 popular musics. You know, I mean, I don't think we have to go far, right, to find. I mean, the whole point of the Utopian Wish, as Bach outlines it, and the principles of hope, it's it is profane, right? It, it, I think we're mistaken if we as um, if we become kind of like purists about this and look to it only in um, in highly aestheticized forms that are kind of separated from the kind of capitalist circulation, right? You know, um, I think it's, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a while since I went through those examples in Bach, but um, the, you know, um, I mean, part of the way in which um, commodity culture um, captivates is through you know the society the spectacle is 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 through its um it's through, through through kind of feeding the utopian wish right you know um and um and that may be a reason to be cynical about it right and say well then actually our hope for a better world or a different world is precisely what keeps us you know kind of captured <laughs> uh you know to this one it's like taking the blue pill right in in, in kind of fixed <laughs> terms um but um, I've taken the red pill and I don't know, that's not a really great world either. <laughs> you know, I think that there's <laughs> something about wanting to, stay, wanting to stay in this world and um, to, uh, you know, as um, I would say this as, as, as leftists and, you know, as artists, um, you know, mm. either category, right? We're... Um, you know, uh, leftists are dealing with the people and artists are dealing with audiences of some kind, right? In either case, you have to sort of engage how the utopian wish is formulated um, and per performances when they are powerful, I mean, black performances are, you know, incredibly powerful on this score. I'm just kind of free associating at this point to answer this question, you know, what is the difference between a performance that's just like technically a performance, like someone does something in a room versus something that kind of connects, right? That sort of is like an amplified, you know, not necessarily in all those, you know, ways of, of um, being kind of pre-formatted or legible according to, that's I think the big problem today, right? Is that, um, you know, thanks to digital culture, so much culture, thanks to digitalization, so many things kind of pre-formatted and no sooner does something kind of like speak, you know, <laughs> to a moment, um, then it, you know, becomes um, instrumentalized, right? So those are big problems um, in, 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 in thinking through uh, performance today. Um, but um, if I haven't lost the question entirely, and if I have, please do repeat it, um, you know, I, I remain a performance studies scholar because I do think that the um, the uh, co-presence that um, that performance demands of us uh, is is part of where that conviviality begins, right? It's where like my utopian wish meets your utopian wish, <laughs> you know, and they are not necessarily the same, right? And we have to kind of figure that out. Um, and that gets called improvisation if it's, you know, uh, in a jazz club and it gets called choreography if it's in dance and it gets called something else if it's coders in a room, right? It's called something else if it's a um, community organizer, right? I think that's what's so beautiful about this present moment of abolitionism 
And I think that we can find a genealogy for this. This would be an interesting project for someone to do who wants to go back to the 19th century for some reason. But, you know, the discovery that, you know, to make a long story short, you know, the reformers of the 18th century said slavery is a moral evil, but the economy depends upon it and black people are inferior. So let's get rid of this slowly, <laughs> like over generations, right? And then abolition said, actually, no, slavery is a moral evil. Black people are e equals to uh, whites. Um, let's abolish this institution now, <laughs> right? You know, and just ruin the economy and figure it out from there, right? That's the conflict, right? And so I'm being very, very basic there, but then what then happens is that when you arrive at that decision that you're just committed to just reassembling society from the ground up, that becomes an incredibly powerful experimental place, right? You know, and that is very radical and, and performative. And so um, what's so interesting about abolitionism today is that it is, you know, like as Ruth Gilmore says, you know, we change everything, right? And that seems really impossible and exhausting. And there are real questions of burnout. And I don't mean to diminish any of this, mm -hmm. but, but the experimentalism of that demand to change everything has sources in the genealogies of abolitionist performance, I would say that's one. And the other thing is that it then brings kind of political and economic work and maybe ethical work in terms of your podcast together with aesthetic work, right? Then, then aesthetics is not so far apart. It's not something, hmm. I mean, it could be in a gallery, but it doesn't have to be in a gallery, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's the aesthetics of everyday life. Mm -hmm. And that's where the utopian wish, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road there. Great. Okay, this will be our last question as we're getting to the promised hour. Um, you had mentioned refashioning categories. Can you talk about how that refashioning uh, happens or what it looks like, what it means to, to refashion a category? Oh, wow. <laughs> to be confronted with one's own words mere minutes after saying them. Um, well, um, maybe the questioner will give me a mother of uh, more details. I was probably talking about dynamic nominalism at that moment. And yes, in the human, I think. Yeah, so refashioning. Well, certainly um, the um, the idea of re-enchanting the human or refashioning the categories of the human, um, refashioning our categories. What does this entail? I, you know, again, it it, it does entail some necessarily. I think it entails it doesn't it does entail something collaborative, um, but it also um, uh, and again I'm I'm just speaking speculatively, um, not speculatively, but like um, I may I may reconsider this answer, <laughs> but I mean I think that. I don't want to overemphasize the collective, right? Because I also want to say that there's something very interior about mm. a reformulation or refashioning. Um, maybe just if we linger with that term fashion and refashioning, right? And stylization. There's a way in which, of course, I mean, some one of the most, prof you know, one of the most compromised like places of aesthetics we could say is like 
the global like the fashion industry and fast fashion and you know it's like what could be what's less promising as a point of departure for thinking about like <laughs> radical alternatives than that right however if we look again to black radical becomings right going back to Alauda Equiano one of the first things that he does upon attaining his uh, uh, manumission from from slavery is buy himself a, a set of super fine clothes. Mm -hmm. So to refashion himself, right? And the, the tradition of, you know, what is, you know, Sojourner Truth was not born Sojourner Truth, right? She gave herself that name, right? Um, the, you know, the importance of renaming yourself in contemporary trans culture, right? You know, and the politics of, you know, and poetics of, of, of self-nomination. I think this is part of, and reflects a, you know, at a minimum, kind of like an inner work that's obviously always in tandem, right, with communities, right, and with the outer world, but it is an inner work as well, right, and so um, that's what I think refashioning categories might mean, right, um, and it is a struggle, right, we're refashioning categories right now um, all over the place, right, and there's this fierce blowback against that, um, um, categories of gender and sexuality just to um just to to, to to touch upon the most hot button ones um but this is what it means to possess the right to be human right uh, that you know that you know there is there's an ethics in the Foucauldian sense right of the care of the self not in this sort of compromised neoliberal Mm -hmm. privatized self-care mm -hmm. um, in which um, as my friend Damon Young says, you know, this obligation to take care for others then ultimately gets routed back to the self as <laughs> like taking mm -hmm. care of yourself because like you don't care about others. Right. Um, but, but instead a set of experimental procedures um, and interrogations of, how one might come to live in the world, right? Um, and the, and almost an existential, right? Search uh, for um, mm -hmm. a new set of categories by which one could live, right? This is, um, you know, I always want to have this like, you know, tattooed on my uh, wrist from Fanon, right? Oh, my body making me always a man who questions, right? I mean, there's a gender thing there. It's problematic, but like this idea of the body questioning <laughs> the self, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, what I would say um, by way of refashioning categories, right? And all those categories, right? <laughs> Including body, man, et cetera, are perpetually being reformulated as they should be if we want to avoid a static um, and, you know, uh, yeah, avoid a static <laughs> uh, uh, conception of the human.